Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hello and welcome to episode 364 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. Thank you for joining me today for this episode when we return to a familiar theme on this podcast jealousy. It's a story as old as they come. Just how do you cope when someone that you love no longer wants to be with you, but wants to be with someone else? Before we start, I'm delighted that the episode this week is brought to you by Shopify. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide by simplifying selling online and in person so that you can successfully grow your business. It covers all your sales channels and even gets you selling across social media marketplaces like TikTok, Facebook and Instagram. Full of industry-leading tools so ready to ignite your growth, Shopify gives you complete control over your business and your brand without learning new skills in coding or design. And thanks to 24-7 help and with an extensive business course library, Shopify is ready to support your success every step of the way. Now, I remember a side business I had a few years ago, which was so difficult to actually sell the product and get paid. Changing the pricing, I'd sit for hours at my computer when I needed to be working on the marketing and the sales strategies. A friend recommended Shopify to me and it completely changed the business. It made everything really so easy to do, leaving me to focus on what was important. And that's what I love about Shopify, that no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify will be there to empower you with the confidence and control to take your business to that next level. It's time to get serious about selling and get Shopify today. Sign up for a £1 per month trial period at shopify.co.uk slash truecrime or lowercase. Go to shopify.co.uk slash truecrime to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.co.uk slash truecrime. Okay, so let's quickly set some context for today's story with our guest of the month and year game. Top of the UK charts was Katy Perry with I Kissed a Girl. At the summit in the US was Rihanna with Disturbia. And in Australia, top of the album charts was those smooches themselves. It was Slipknot with All Hope Is Gone. Breaking Down, the fourth book in Stephanie Mayer's Twilight Saga was published this month. Those books for adults who enjoy children's reading. Airbnb was founded this month, and a light aircraft approaching Coventry collided with a microlight and all five people on board the two aircraft were killed. More tragic news was British motorcyclist Craig Jones, who was involved in a serious accident during a World Championship race at Brands Hatch, dying of his injuries the following day, aged just 23. And in UK true crime news, Barry George was acquitted of the murder of Jill Dando which, along with the disappearance of Claudia Lawrence, is certainly the most discussed case on my UK True Crime Facebook page. So did you guess the month and year? It was August 2008. Maybe next week, huh? Today's story comes from Woking in Surrey, 
is about 25 miles southwest of central London. Woking is, of course, as we all know, famous for... <laughs> anyway, I like this quote from Douglas Adams, who defined woking in the deeper meaning of lif as standing in the kitchen, wondering what you came in here for. Cutting. But with that, on to today's story. It was 11.57pm on August the 26th, 2008, when the emergency services were called to a house fire at Greenmeads in Woking, Surrey. The call was made by the owner of the house, Alan Jeremy. 40-year-old Alan lived with his partner, 34-year-old Kirsty Wilson, and their children, Alicia, aged 8, and 2-year-old Poppy. Kirsty was doing very well in a job that she loved. She was the business development and customer relations manager for Tony Merslow Mercedes-Benz dealerships in Basingstoke, Guildford and Hindhead. Kirsty had worked in Basingstoke for over 10 years after joining the company as a graduate trainee in September 1998. She was super ambitious and really good at her job with her outgoing personality and the way she got on with people. In 2002, she was promoted and joined the management team which involved looking after the requirements of customers at the three dealerships in the region. She also spent a lot of time in Germany looking at the new units coming through from the parent company and she had 10 to 12 people working directly for her. Alan was also in the car dealership business, working for a dealership not far from Heathrow Airport and he too was thriving in this business and doing incredibly well. The couple were on the surface very different. Kirsty was outgoing, she loved social situations, she would talk to anyone and she was always smiling. Whereas Alan was much more quiet and he certainly didn't fit that cliche that some of us may still have of a car dealer. But the relationship seemed to work and when we pick up the story, life seemed to be good for the couple. On the call to the fire service, Alan said, I'm upstairs, the fire is downstairs, there is just smoke coming up. Sometime into the call, he told the operator, the thing is, I don't know where my partner is. I went to bed early. Alan had managed to reach his children and take them to relative safety by going out through the bathroom window. And on the call, his youngest daughter could be heard crying, mummy, mummy, in the background of the 999 call. You can find it on YouTube. The fire service performed their usual excellent standard and was soon at the scene where they rescued Alan and the children from the flat roof of the four-bedroomed house. But as they searched the rest of the home, they made the terrible discovery of Kirsty's burnt and lifeless body in the living room where she'd been watching TV before the fire took hold. Kirsty was just 34 when she died and so much to live for. But shockingly, just four hours after being rescued from the fire, Alan was under arrest on suspicion of murder. As we hear so often, firefighters have a great sense of when things don't feel right at the scene of a fire. And here things certainly didn't feel as they should. For starters, when the firefighters arrived, there were only a few wisps of smoke as the fire hadn't really taken hold. It certainly wasn't what you would call a ferocious blaze. They also noticed that Alan seemed calm and unconcerned about what happened to his partner Kirsty after they rescued him and his young daughters. And the burns on Kirsty's body from the fire 
did not conceal obvious bruising to her neck, which suggested that she'd been strangled. Further investigations showed that the batteries had been taken out of a smoke alarm fitted in the house and a burning and partially melted petrol can was found in the downstairs cloakroom. The paramedics have the same sense of what feels right as firefighters and straight away they suspected that Kirsty had been dead for longer than the fire had been burning. Again, it just didn't feel right to them. It's the experience, I guess. The post-mortem examination confirmed that belief that Kirsty was already dead when the fire had started, as there was no smoke found in her lungs. It appeared that Alan had strangled Kirsty, posing her to look as if she'd been watching TV. Alan held a black belt in Kung Fu, and he'd used these skills, it seemed, to strangle her, leaving very few external injuries to the naked eye. Detectives also found that he'd ordered a 100,000 volt stun gun over the internet so he could knock Kirsty out before killing her. That was later recovered from the bedroom. Once he'd done this, he'd then set the fire himself before retreating to the roof of the property. He not only calmly killed his partner and the mother of his children, but he also put the two lives of his two children at considerable risk by starting a fire. If it had really taken hold, it could have been a different story. But despite the evidence stacking up against him, Alan totally denied that this is how events had unfolded. He told police officers on the night in question he'd been tired so he'd gone to bed early, while Kirsty just stayed downstairs watching TV. He continued that when he uncovered the fire, his only thoughts were for his daughters and that the overpowering smoke meant there'd be no chance of him even trying to rescue Kirsty. But the firefighters just didn't buy this at all. There was very little smoke damage in the house, the fire hadn't taken hold properly, and it was strongly suggested that if he'd wanted to, Alan could have gone into the lounge with Kirsty without even coughing. When he was confronted about the marks on Kirsty's neck suggesting strangulation, Alan tried to explain this by saying that the bruising on her neck had been caused by him giving her a neck massage earlier in the evening. Now we hear some pretty unbelievable accounts of events on the podcast from those accused of a crime, and I think Alan's is right up there. He blamed another of these mystery intruders that we sometimes hear blamed. But the timing would have been highly unlikely. And also this intruder chose not to steal any valuables from the house, the front door was still locked, and £200 in cash was sitting in plain view in the kitchen. It was clearly nonsense. But why? Why would Alan have wanted to kill his partner? They lived a great life with two young children, and both were excelling in their careers. But it didn't take police long to discover the motive. Kirsty was having an affair. In fact, it was more than just an affair. She'd fallen in love with another man and she wanted to start a new life with him, a life away from Alan. Kirsty had met the managing director of Tony Perslow Mercedes-Benz, who's called Simon Goddard, in 1998 when she started work as a trainee. The two had always got on well professionally, but things had progressed and in 2007, the pair first slept together at a hotel while on a training course. Simon felt the same way about Kirsty as she did about him, and he'd actually left his wife and two young children so that the couple could start a new life together. 
and Kirsty had told Alan that she felt their relationship had run its course and she didn't want to spend the rest of her life with him. At first, he seemed to accept the end of the relationship. He told officers he'd accepted the split from Kirsty and had himself been sleeping with other women who he met mainly on social media, especially Facebook. But as time approached for the house to be sold and this to actually happen, he had completely changed into a model partner who couldn't do enough for Kirsty, even coming home early from work regularly to cook her dinner. But it was too late. She didn't love Alan anymore. She was head over heels in love with Stuart Goddard. When asked about the affair that Kirsty was having with her boss, he confirmed that there was an incident a year before the murder when he had found a text on her phone from him saying, I wish I was there with you now. Alan said, I'm not a person to lose my temper at all. I'm quite a steady, pragmatic guy. I don't see any point in raising my voice or shouting or screaming at people. I think if you lose your temper, your emotions get hold of you and you lose all rationale. He said that Kirsty was shocked with the text and had a good cry, but the next day she told him it was just some flirtatious fun. He continued, I wasn't that greatly concerned. I felt we had a trusting relationship. The motor trade is very much a male business, and to have a very attractive female working in the business, you've got to have trust. Salesmen are always being flirtatious. I had to have trust in Kirsty that she was faithful to me. Kirsty was someone I loved. We had two children together. I had no reason to question her at that time. He also said they went to the US, to Chicago on holiday soon after that text. And they were very, very close on that trip, he said. But as the time of the breakup approached, it appeared he wasn't able to face the future without Kirsty. The house was actually due to go on the market the very next day. And it seems he couldn't face all the upheaval of losing his house and living without his children every day, so he took drastic action. And in the days leading to the killing, Kirsty told friends that she was frightened of Alan. She thought he was reading her text messages when she was asleep, and she was scared how he would react and what he might do. And on his laptop, detectives found a note he'd written to Kirsty which said, Dear Kirsty, thank you for the last nine and a half years. I knew I could have done so much more for you and wish I could prove to you that I can make you my priority. Detectives are also pretty sure they pieced together the timeline of the evening. Alan had put one of his daughters to bed and then at about 8.30pm had gone to the cash point to get some money out and had filled his car with petrol. Kirsty sent a text to Simon about 10 past 9 asking him how his evening had been as he had been out on a business meeting for an associate. Simon texted her back about 9.20 and didn't get any reply. And so, again, he texted her about 10 minutes later to say, hey. And again, he didn't get any reply, which was highly unusual to him. He knew that Kirsty looked at her phone all the time and she would always reply promptly. It was about then, they think, that detectives believed that Alan came back from the petrol station and the events that led to Kirsty being killed took place. Alan faced trial for murder. Sarah Forshaw, the QC prosecuting, said, The time was fast approaching when she was going to leave him. That night, when the children were asleep upstairs, he killed her. He arranged her dead body on the floor. He went out to the garage where he kept petrol cans for the lawnmower. He poured petrol over her, 
particularly over her head and her neck, and he set fire to her. He was particularly anxious that he may have left signs around her that identified himself as her strangler. He expected the fire to take hold immediately and for the house to go up in flames, but the fire, it never really took hold. Kirsty's mum, Sandra, told the court that Alan was a bit obsessive about her daughter. When I would say, that's a pretty girl on the television, he would say, she's not as nice as Kirsty. There's nobody as nice as Kirsty. He thought she's really something special, she said. She also gave some insight into the relationship, saying that when she and her husband visited the house, Alan didn't even bother to say hello to them when he came in from work before going straight out to his martial arts class. She continued that there were clear problems between her daughter and Alan over the past few years. She said there wasn't a lot of love in the house. In the Easter, just before Kirsty died, she'd visited her parents and said, she said she'd fallen in love with someone else and that Alan had neglected her. She was very happy. Alan had been trying to change her mind, she said, but she just wasn't interested. Jurors at the Old Bailey deliberated for five hours before unanimously convicting Alan of murder. He showed no emotion and stared blankly ahead of him as the verdict was announced. For this crime, he was told he must serve at least 16 years in prison. In sentencing, the judge said he'd done a terrible thing by killing his partner. He said that Alan had imposed a life sentence of weeping on his partner's parents and dealt a devastating blow to his children. He also pointed out that crimes aggravated by some clear premeditation, the removal of smoke alarms and the purchase of the stun gun before the murder, and that Alan had firmly put his children's lives at risk by starting the fire in an attempt to destroy evidence. The judge looked directly at Alan and told how his youngest daughter still asks her grandma, can I get mummy on the phone? How do you explain to a child of that age that they will never see mummy again? The judge asked. Kirsty was an utterly exceptional person. She was kind, vibrant, beautiful, honest, very sociable, and with a great sense of humour. She'll be missed desperately by all who had the privilege of knowing her. You have done a terrible thing, he said. The couple's daughters had been living with relatives since the murder. And following the verdict, Kirsty's parents, Peter and Sandra, issued a statement. They said, Our grandchildren have been deprived of their mother for the rest of their lives. They are too young to understand why their mummy has left them and gone to heaven. They are the real victims of this tragedy. Their mother has been taken away from them because she fell in love with someone else. Kirsty has left two beautiful daughters, many family members, many friends, and Simon Goddard, her soulmate, who she was going to spend the rest of her life with. Everybody who knew Kirsty thought the world of her and will miss her terribly. We will always miss Kirsty and we weep for her every day. For Kirsty to have her young life taken away in such appalling circumstances, merely because she wanted to be with someone else, is both unbelievable and unacceptable. We cannot understand why someone would want to commit such a horrendous crime. And police also released a statement on behalf of Simon Goddard in which he said, If you go through life and meet your soulmates, you're extremely lucky. I did, and now I've lost her. Not only is my heart being broken, I feel like my soul has been destroyed. I hope that now we've got some justice for Kirsty, we can all start to try and find a way forward. Kirsty will always be in my heart, I'll never forget her, 
and the love we shared. So what do you make of what we've heard today? We never know what happened in the four walls of someone's house, do we? I mean, just imagine if people found out what you were really up to. Yeah, I know, right? Here, I think we can surmise that Alan neglected the relationship, which is so easy for any of us to do, isn't it? Especially when we have busy lives, maybe children, maybe a job and busy interests too. Kirsty met somebody else and it was serious. It seems she thought Alan had accepted it, but clearly he hadn't. I read a quote from Simon Goddard who said that he expected Alan to beat him up when he found out about him and Kirsty, And she was also frightened of him in his final days. So beneath that cold, controlled persona, there was something that was a concern, was there? But are we just reading into the situation stuff with the benefit of hindsight that just isn't there? When researching this story, in addition to my main source of Wikipedia, obviously, I spoke to someone who knew Alan, not well, but had come into contact with him a few times. I naturally asked what Alan was like, and the answer was just a normal bloke. Worked hard, quiet, pleasant, but normal, just like you or I. It's clear that losing Kirsty was just too much for him. But why kill her? Why not just let her go? Alan will be out of prison soon, if he isn't already. And, what, in his mid-50s? With lots of life left to live. But he has taken both parents away from his children as they were growing up. And, of course, by killing Kirsty, he has destroyed so many lives. I know I've said this many times, but it means that every Christmas, every celebration, every event, there is always an empty place, an empty seat, which should have been filled by Kirsty. Just 34 when she died. What a terrible, terrible waste. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. To discuss this story and any other aspects of UK True Crime, please head over to Facebook and join over 91,000 of us you talk UK true crime 24-7. It's many things. <laughs> if you're there, you'll know. It's never dull, is it? And to support the show, please do head to patreon.com slash UK true crime for bonus episodes and other exclusive content. A huge thank you to the latest members of this community. That's Stephen Randall, Georgia Pike, and Davey Paul. Thank you so much. Your support is so much appreciated. So if you're not supporting me at Patreon yet, for the price of a cup of coffee, please join our community at patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime and help me continue to release free weekly content. Okay, I know it's that time again. That's all from me, the host of the UK's 37th most popular true crime podcast for another week. If you can, please do support my sponsor Shopify and take a trial with them. It's a really good product and it keeps advertisers spending some money with independent podcasters like me. So until we speak in next week, of course, on Tuesday, please do take it easy. And remember, despite all the others, stay classy. Cheerio for now.